Greetings and welcome to the Conversation Cannabis and Christianity podcast. My name is Miguel Torres and I'm your host. Today, our special guest is Mr. Jim Prangi. Jim has run the gambit of working for financial for, for companies in the financial services industry, raising more than $100 million throughout his career for companies like Public Storage, Hall Financial Group, and Orion Energy Systems. He currently hosts the podcast, Law, Litigation, and Lies, and will be publishing a book this summer titled The Setup from finance to federal prison, my journey through wrongful conviction. Jim, you're in Wisconsin. How are you doing today? Is it is it is spring sprung up there? Is it still feel like? First of all, Miguel, great to be with you. I thank you for asking me to be with you today. Secondly, spring has sprung, at least for the day. It's supposed <laughs> to hit 70 today, but it could turn back to the 30s again, because that's where we have just been coming from. But it's traditional springtime here. I grew up in Michigan and, and I can relate. It, it's, it's almost like, it almost feels like a cruel joke because I'm in Virginia now and, and we got up into the seventies and it went back down to the fifties and thirties at night. And it, I felt it in my bones, Jim. I felt it in my bones, man. <laughs> I, I know. Is there something about warm weather? It makes it, it extreme. I'll you even take you. it. I'll even take it with the humidity. <laughs> Which you're intending to do coming up I pretty am. soon. I yes. am about a month or so. But That's we'll right. save that one for later, because right now I want to these two projects you're doing, Law, Litigation and Lies, the podcast and your book, The Setup from Finance to Federal Prison, My Journey Through Wrongful Conviction. Look, those are closely related projects. And I want to ask you. What were the events or if you can give us a couple share a couple of illustrations with us of, of what. What inspired you and motivated you or, or where did you get your passion to go full on in these endeavors for these two projects? Because this stuff is you're, you're talking about some really heavy stuff. And, and that's what I'd like to ask you, like what brought you to this point that you're doing podcasts about laws, uh, excuse me, the legal system and writing and publishing book as well? So. As you mentioned, I've, I've had some experience in raising capital for various companies. And along the way, I also have worked with more than 60 small early stage companies. And the element is you, when you're working with companies, you're trying to find capital. And so unfortunately, in 2011, I went through an uneventful process, which was, was, which was wrong, which was uh, part of the, as, as we call it, being set up. And so in 2013, I experienced the uh, rare opportunity to have a two-week trial that I was in federal court in Boston. And, and I could not believe the things I heard for those two weeks. And from that point forward, I was introduced to a couple of people in the summer of 13, fall of 13, that we discussed putting together a book. And so it really started that early. And then I went through this incarceration period. I had a 30 month sentence. Uh, and during that time, I actually interviewed, much like we're doing today, I interviewed 200 guys. I just, I felt compelled to do that. I wanted to hear their story. And almost everyone I spoke to or asked to speak to said, sure, but we couldn't use a tape recorder because it's not allowed. All we could use was a pen and a piece of paper. And I took really vociferous notes. I mean, I had probably thousands of pages of notes and I'd file them. That's a lot I, of hand jamming. That's a lot of hand jamming. Oh, yeah. And I, and I have them all yet today because my intent was to use some of these stories. Then I, then I, when I was, when I was back home, um, I, I went through a period where I just, I didn't want to bother with the book. And that went on for a couple of years, but things in the, things that it would include certain political figures, certain other individuals, certain stories started coming out about the FBI. Maybe the FBI isn't quite as uh, clean as uh, we would all like to have been um, brainwashed into believing since the day we were born by all the TV shows that are stressing and emphasizing things. And so I, I really, after seeing certain turmoil, um, again, I'll just use the term politically rather than picking sides. The element was, 
wait a minute, the timing is better now to go back and work on it. So I got back together with my editor. She had introduced me to an individual that really, um, he's, a, he's a high level speaking coach and I got to know him very well. And so now I'm gonna merge these things. So we've continued to work on the book and we're hoping again to have it completed and out this summer. And about three years ago, this individual, the speaking person, he was encouraging me to do a podcast. And I said, Mark, what's a podcast? <laughs> I didn't have really familiarity with a podcast. And I really, that's just another thing to do. It's another shiny object, right? And, and what happened was he referred me to a client of his and I listened to some of her short podcasts, 10, 15 minute ones. And then I became familiar with some other names of people that are podcasters. Um, but I, 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 my son, my son who has um, been helpful on various things technically, he, um, he said, dad, you wanna look at this entity here? It's called London Real. And how did how did your son hear about London Rail? Oh, he listens to he loves Joe Ro, Joe Rogan as many folks do. He uh, likes uh, UFC. He likes the martial arts. He's a very well conditioned individual, and and he's very very knowledgeable because of all the things he's done and researched and really delved into the last ten years. So mm -hmm. he was familiar with them. I maybe had heard of them, but maybe not. I'm not quite sure. And so then I, I went online, I looked and I saw the introductory material that London Real puts out. And I was like, you know, this looks pretty good. And then I had a look and a little more and then I read a little more and I thought, I'm gonna reach out. And then of course I had a conversation with a nice lady from Brazil who uh, um, told me more good things. And I thought, hey, when you're thinking of podcasting and you're going to be able to relate, I think, and maybe everybody can, it's like things are floating around. What, what am I going to call it? How am I going to do it? What do I have to do? What all works? And so I looked at things online, microphones, what have you. Yeah. Now because my son is into music, music production. Okay. He was way ahead on all those things. And he had certain things already. And then we've got additional things to create this studio that I've, made brief reference to this morning on our call. And um, so he kind of led me into it. Um, he really should have been in it too. But here again, his time commitments aren't allowing. But the element is that it, to me, it really helped set a focus. Aside from the technology things, it really helped set a focus. It helped create what are your, what are your core values? What are you, what's your mission statement? What's your podcast title going to be? Um, who are going to be your guests? All these things that has been assimilated into this eight week curriculum, really, I would say it's kind of a crash course. And, and it really put me and I think many others in a much, 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 much better position to be able to say, look, I can, I can, I can now say, I kind of know how to do this. And, and I think I have nine or 10 episodes that I've completed and, and will continue, of course, going forward. My principal field is in those three titles, which would be the law and the litigation and the lies, because I have experienced a massive dose of all three of those things over the years. It seems the more you're in. There's, there's one thing I want to ask you, yeah. because what did you go to prison for for 30 months? So in, um, I was led to an individual from Rhode Island and that individual said, hey, I've got a source of capital. And he said, I've had companies that have used this source of capital, which is a big major hedge fund from New York City with a division office located in Boston. Okay. And it, but there's one stipulation. You have to go there to meet with the hedge fund, with the individual. So I took two companies with me, July 22nd of 2011, and we went to suburban Boston and this hedge fund manager, so we thought, uh, laid down a perfect story. All my kids and my family, and I've been doing this for eight years. 
And he just painted the whole vivid picture of what it is that he's, what he does and yeah. why he helps early stage companies when many other, many people would never help these early stage companies. So, um, and then he said, he suggested to me, he said, now you're bringing people to me. I would, I'd be happy to pay you a 10% finder's fee. Would that be okay? Well, I've dealt with so many situations and I know how many lies are in the business that all I said was, sure knowing it could be total BS, but you don't know until you know. So then he met with these two firms and, and, and he did a very small tranche of money, tranche meaning a little bit of dollars that his hedge fund, alleged hedge fund invested. And, uh, and then it was almost like he became very scarce. And we heard strange sounding stories and we could not get a hold of him again and then all of a sudden on October 4th, I had the privilege of accepting a telephone call from a nice FBI man from Boston who told me things that, well, you knew or should have known, or you know you're gonna be going to federal prison. And I'm like, what are you telling me? I, I, you know, all I did was introduce some people here um, to generate capital. Well, little did we know that the whole meetings, that when we did more than one meeting was taped. Everything was on tape. Everything was a setup, much like the book. It was a complete setup. It was a complete fabrication. It was fraught with lies, lies, and more lies. And the deception was incredible. So, so what did they? What laws did they say you broke? Uh, wire fraud. Oh, because, okay. not, because, you see, not everybody in America can have the opportunity to be able to receive $4,750 on a bank wire and then get 30 months for that. Yeah. Seems a little light, doesn't it? <laughs> seems, seems like that. And that's not a whole lot of, you know, $4,000, no. 30 months. Right. But this was all part of uh, certain beliefs. This was all brought down by the federal government. There was a certain administration that was in place. There was a pending election coming up the next year. So they're positioning all sorts of information to benefit allegedly investors out there that the administration government is protecting these early stage investment people in early stage publicly traded companies. Um, and it gets much deeper than that, Miguel. So the element was, look, if you're guilty, you probably are gonna say I'm guilty. But if you're not guilty, you're going to say, what the hell is this crap? So I went to trial. I didn't, I, I, I'm like, this is crazy. I'm going to go to trial. Um, and, I, and I didn't, you, you, when you're a first timer, you don't know what's what. And you're led by your, by your uh, criminal defense lawyer. And they give you as much information as they want you to know at the time. Kind of that need to know basis. And so I went to trial. Um, it was uh, March, April of 2013. It was two weeks. Uh, we saw people come back into the courtroom crying, literally crying. And we now know why they were crying because as happens often, uh, no doubt they had pressure put on them because what they like to say in, in jury rooms is, well, he's gotta be guilty of something. Our government just wouldn't do this. Really? Yeah, they, they would. Okay, they would. And so I was found guilty, of course. And here's a little known statistic that anybody that wants to know this statistic, once you're indicted by the feds, of which there's between seven and 8,000 every month, it's a business. There's 94 US attorney's offices in America with 5,500 assistant US attorneys, most of which would like to go up the ladder and become a judge or become a private uh, firm so that they can make their half a million to a million a year. And how do you get there? Convictions. Mm -hmm. So once you're indicted, you most everybody has heard the statistic, 97% of the people plead. There's reasons why they plead. That means there's only 3% that go to trial, roughly. Yeah. Now, when you put numbers together, you actually have a one half of 1% chance of winning if you, once you're indicted. So if you're indicted, one half of 1% chance of winning. 
because of 97% pleading. And of the other 3%, only 6% of those 3% ever win. So think about a half of 1%. You got only worse odds with dying or paying taxes. <laughs> and it's right? not very encouraging, that's for sure. It's not very encouraging. No, and these are things that people don't realize out there. But you went so for I it, But you did go for it. You went for it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I also filed an appeal. So I went through the whole appellate court process. In July of 2015, I was on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. Inside, nope. there were four pictures of me because they were doing everything possible to uh, influence the appellate court. So three weeks before my appellate hearing took place for oral arguments, there's this big, huge negative article, if you will, pursuant to me. They go to they go to any extreme to win, any extreme. So, so they they really why 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 do you think they went after you for just four k, like a little over four thousand dollars? You know what I mean? Uh, there are plenty of us that would say notches in a belt. You are nothing but a number. You're a statistic. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Everybody that gets indicted gets a beautiful press release that goes to their local neighborhood newspaper so you can be on the front page. Mm. And that happens. And, and there's a whole lot more on that subject. But that happens all the time. And you see those things. You see them in any town you live in. And periodically, somebody will get indicted for something. Right. So the, obviously, I can expand upon that for hours on that particular subject matter. So I actually won a right for a reduction on my appeal, but of course they bring it back to the same judge who sentenced you. And that judge has basically zero interest in changing his sentence. So he didn't make any changes at all, but little be known, it was an extremely incredible experience that I had. And most people would never believe that I would say, I really had a good time. I enjoyed it. And the whole experience, like the, like, like the, from the notification, from the phone call to the trial, to prison, all that's of all, that's all the hardest part. Once you get to the federal prison, then it's kind of like, Hey, all the other stuff is done. So now you just know that you have this time that they allocate to you and it's up to you to determine what you want to do with it. You can work out as some people do. I've saw multiple people lose hundred, 125 pounds because they were focused on themselves, And so there's much of all of that, that, is, that takes place there. So I mean, I read a hundred books. I interviewed the 200 people. Um, I was involved in some programs that were there. Uh, just a really interesting experience, definitely. So that is, <laughs> that's surprising to hear, Jim. I got to admit, <laughs> I understand the concept of what you're saying though. You, you basically, instead of choosing the, to let that time just lay void, you decided to fill it with things that were going to enrich you and edify you. And exactly. I, I, you know, I've never been to prison, but I imagine that I'd be, if I wasn't a Christian, I'd be praying for help. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, it's like. You you had you had a, a wife at this time and some children, right? Correct. And how yes. old were your kids? At that time? Yeah, at that time. Uh, at that time, 2013, let's take it back, eight, 27, and 25. Okay. So they're young adults. They're young adults, yeah. and and dad has gone to federal penitentiary for 30 months. Are you are you guys what did you guys lean on? Like, what did you guys lean on? To help, I mean, I know what you, I know what you did while you were in prison to to spend the time, but what did you and your family lean on? Anything else other than that? I mean, I mean, I'm sure your 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 wife had to have been you know it had to have been very hard on your marriage. Yeah, I, I and and I and, and I will tell you, Miguel, I witnessed numbers of people that went through massive pain in while they were incarcerated, um, where X amount of marriages is totally disintegrated. Yeah, um, and that's, usually that's, with that's, longer. That's, that's that's serious. I mean, when you go into prison and then your life and your life is in prison, and then when you get out, the life that you had before that falls apart as well. That's I'm right. Guessing, I'm guessing that you are still married. Yes. Amen. Yes. That's great. 
So what did you guys lean on? I mean, were you guys, do you guys ascribe to a, a, a religious belief or, or a philosophy, a philosophical outlook or, or no faith? Yeah, my, I, I would say, yeah, having faith, having, having strong convictions that uh, this term that I will use, that tough times never last, but tough people will, mm-hmm. um, different situations that we have had adversity prior to that, different challenges that life presents to everybody in one way, shape, form, or another. Uh, my wife has always been a very religious lady. Uh, grew up in the Lutheran faith. Okay. Um, I too, I was, I was born and raised in the United Church of Christ community. But then once she and I got together, I converted to the Lutheran faith, Missouri Synod. And our kids were brought up in that uh, through grade school. Um, so I would say we've always had a good um, feeling of having beliefs that we have to face up to the challenges that we have. Um, we pray about those challenges and, and hope for the best that things are going to move forward in a positive vein. It's kind of, I've always been a very, very optimistic person and I've had lots of challenges over the years. And we all have again in different denominations and in different quantities. And I've had a good dose, um, but I try to maintain that positivity, if you will, um, because we can change things around, just give us enough time to be able to do that. And, and so I tried to take every bit that I could from a positive standpoint, witnessing people while I was in, in, in incarcerated, it really is much like a community college. It's, <laughs> it's, it's not how they paint it up to be. But the idea is that I witnessed guys that couldn't get out of bed, that were depressed all day long, day after day after day because of what happened to them. So yeah, we each choose individually, but it depends upon our circumstances too. So I believe faith helped carry through well there. There's the numbers, there was a very great chapel there. There was a nice, very nice chaplain there, a lady. I had meetings with her. Each denomination, they had different religious services. Um, Every Sunday, um, many Sundays, I would go and attend because now you're kind of with your peer group people that are going through different dimensions and then people would speak, give testimonials. Those things were all very helpful. Very helpful. When you're going through all this, did you have the thought or did, if you did have the thought, how long did it last before you either said, yep, that is what's happening or no, that's not what's happening. Were you ever angry at God for what you because of what you were going through? No, the answer is, no, I, I, and I know people can have the tendency to say, God, why me? Yeah. Why is it happening? But when you start meeting people, like when I'm sitting in one specific spot, we had, a, we had our own theater there, right? And they'd show movies. And the guy sitting behind me, whose name was Ron. Ron, where are you from? He was from Detroit. How long have you been in, Ron? 26 years. Oh, my gosh. When you start hearing these stories of people, 26 years. I had a roommate that had been in 17 years. And he said, look, Jim, just know this. When you look at me, think of me as I'm institutionalized. I do the same thing every day. It's all pattern. I'm like, I'm like robotic. So when you see these types of people and they find out that you only have a 30 month sentence, you kind of go, hell, this isn't so bad. And you adapt that philosophy. Um, it just, it, it, it's, it's the way it is. And, and when you hear other stories for what happened to these people and for the length of sentence that they got, I mean, there was a lot of people incarcerated for hot, right? Good old marijuana. Yeah. And, and then there's terms called ghost dope, ghost dope where they didn't have any dope, but oh, okay. gotcha. Kingpin would, he'd give a list to the feds. And then the feds would go after the people on the list. Didn't matter if they had dope or if they had been selling dope. All that mattered was they were on a list. So now you end up going through the legal system. Another roommate, he spent his whole 40s incarcerated. He went in at 39 and came out at 51 for nothing more than, as he termed it, and as many termed it, ghost dope. They create the dope. They create the quantities. It's unbelievable. 
The system is unbelievable. So you were you were in, you were in prison in where was the prison at? Uh, Duluth, Minnesota. Oh man, it's cold up there. I've been to Duluth. Pretty the cold capital. It was the coldest city in America during January and February of 2015. We had seven days of 50 below. Oh, the yeah, wind it, whipping off of Lake Superior. Oh, it was cold. Nat- yeah. Natural beauty. It's got natural beauty. It's on Lake Superior. It's a beautiful city. I've been there. They had cool restaurants. But man, yep. it is just cold. You got you got to really love that kind of cold. Now, I, I say this because when you're in a prison, I can't imagine that they care too much about making you more comfortable than they think you should be. <laughs> so, you know, And that would be a tendency, Miguel. But the reality is we had great clothing. Okay. Great, great coats, great, great, great everything. And, and the dorms, you would think, oh, they'll probably keep it cold. It was great. It was warm. It was very comfortable. All things considered, it was very comfortable. What was uncomfortable was walking from the dorm to the dining hall because that was on one end of the campus and man, the wind was blowing and you felt like your face was freezing in those, in those extreme temperatures. Well, that's, but, that's a, that's a far cry from the Shawshank redemption. That's for sure. <laughs> yes. They didn't have that same situation. That's right. You know, we had, but all things considered, the food was extremely good. Again, most of the guys were good. The experiences of dealing with them was good. Um, it's it's just it, it, it's not what they paint on on TV, right? Now this was a, this was a, a camp. This wasn't a solitary confinement. Yeah. Um, so ba- so what level what level of prison was it? Yeah. There's there's like there's there's highs and then there's mediums and there's lows and there's camps. Camps so are camp, okay. Literally, so the camp would turn camp as part of the the yeah. infrastructure of it. Exactly. Very little fencing. If you okay. wanted to, you could wander off and leave. However, you would be public number one for them to go find. And before I got there, there were two guys that really did. They left. They took off. Ultimately, they got caught. But it, 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 it's pretty, it's pretty, uh, pretty, pretty good freedoms, all things considered. So there were folks in there for marijuana crimes, I'm sure there were some uh, nonviolent and some violent, you know, there's going to be both. And they were getting multi-year sentences is what you're running into that you're seeing. They're they're telling you they got like what, upwards of 10 years, something like that. If you get sentences generally over 10, you start off at a higher level facility. So when you hear these sentences of guys getting 50 years, 40 years, 30 years, they could be at a, they could be at a high they could be at a medium. There's more security at those and less liberties at those camps, at those facilities than there is at a camp. And until you get down to generally under 10 years, then they can move you into a camp. Okay. All right. right. So they kind of have a hierarchy based upon how long your sentence was as to where you get placed. Man, that's wild thinking about it, man. It's like, you, you, when I think about it, it's like, well, you, you, if you if you're committed a non nonviolent marijuana uh, crime at that time, and we're talking like early 2010s, late 2000s, any time before the current time right now, which is 2021, when a wave of legalization of marijuana is going over states, and even I saw a headline now, North Carolina, very conservative North Carolina, is looking to do something with with changing the laws for cannabis in in, uh, in their state. And you get this, and here's just the way I think about it. It's like a 15 year sentence, 10, 15 year sentence. You start off at a real intense place, not many freedoms or liberties, of course. And as you get closer to your final date, you, the restrictions lessen, the liberties increase a little bit and the security decreases a little bit. I can imagine that being really hard. Like, like you said, those two guys, that took off, it'd be like, you're so close to it. It's almost like dangling that thing. And it's almost dangling, like dangling that freedom for you in in front of you when you know, you still got, you still got time to do and they want to see who's going to bite. And it it almost seems, it just seems weird. I I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know what I would do. It'd be weird. (laughs) 
I mean, it is. Yeah. And ultimately, those two guys, after they got caught, they got 18 months each added onto their sentence. Oh. So, you know, it just kept them in that much longer. Yeah. But I've met a lot of guys that were in for marijuana possession, getting eight years, 10 years, 12 years. Ridiculous. So let me just ask you. So I hear you saying ridiculous and I agree. I agree. What does this, does that, when you say that, um, what, what are your thoughts on medicinal and, and, uh, recreational marijuana? Uh, it's, I don't think it's there in Wisconsin. I know it's in Michigan and Illinois and, and, uh, we talked in Minneapolis has a, a flavor of it. Where do you, where, what do you think about that? Well, let's flash back in time. So if we go back to around 1920, they had this thing called prohibition. And of course, that lasted until 32 or 33. And then what do you have? You have all the bootleggers out there. You've got people creating a product. And then you've got the Al Capone stories and other um, mafiosos, so to speak, that were capitalizing on the illegalities of alcohol. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. I'm not an expert in this field, but I do believe there was some legalization of marijuana 100 years ago or X amount of years ago where that that was perfectly fine. Then things changed. And of course, then through different presidential terms, whether it was Nixon in 70s, in the early 70s, leading up to 94 with with uh, um, Clinton and then in between the war on drugs, other whatever they all said, they just kept enhancing and enhancing it. In particular, the law that changed in 94 really penalized, really penalized individuals. So now we get to where if we take a look at the the law in 94, the law in 94 that penalized individuals. Can you can you talk what 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 is it? What what, in your mind? Why was it? uh, Why was the punishment? Why did you why do you think the punishment was too harsh for for cannabis possession or something like that? they started making it draconian because they're trying and not, not that a politician would ever put anything into law to try to get votes. We know that politicians would never do that or speak out of both sides of their mouth. The element is that they made it tougher, harder, stricter, so that they can then say that they're tough on crime yep. and tough on crime means votes because the American public, oh, he's going to protect me. Okay. So they, they went, I had a good friend whose name was Bob. Bob got sentenced in 98 or 99 after that particular law. He got 23 years for minor possession without getting into the quantity of the drugs. He got mm. 23 years and they painted him up with some other false charges because they're known to do that as well. And so essentially it, it, and, and, and then while, even while I was in Duluth, they started making changes. Here's a perfect example. You could have possession of pot or you could have possession of, of um, um, what's it called? Crack, right? You could have crack. The penalties were a hundred times worse for the per- people that were possessing crack than the people that were possessing pot. And so there are some beliefs that it was orientated to the African-American community to make it disproportionately painful to them. And then there's a so so that's a you know, I was wondering if you're going to say that because there's a a guy I went to high school with where we both graduated high school the same year. His name is Echo Yanka, and uh, he's a lawyer. I think it's I can't remember the name of the school, but uh, Within the last four or five years, he 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 got the he got the national attention for the the differences between the crack epidemic, I would say, of the eighties and the opioid prescription epidemic of the two thousand in the twenty first century, right? And uh, and he made those distinctions. It's like in the eighties, it was a it was a law enforcement issue. And now it's a health issue. And uh, it's interesting to hear you say you saw the same thing while you were in prison. Absolutely. So I might have to, I might have to reach out to my friend. I haven't talked with him since high school. <laughs> but, no, that's a good idea. But, uh, but yeah, that, that's interesting to hear you say that. Cause that lines up with exactly what 
what and then a lot of people it's not just him it's a lot of people they see the differences and and if you're on the beneficial side of that well that's that is great for you but there's a lot of people who are not and and that 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 gets lost sometimes oh there's no question miguel i mean we can get into the depth of what it's done to communities the amount of people that have been incarcerated from certain minority communities um it 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 very painful, very painful. So now we start seeing changes where they relax that disparity between crack and pot. They didn't make it perfect, but at least they relaxed the disparity. They've, they've allowed certain people under the First Step Act, which came out about three years ago. Now there's the CARES Act. Yeah, there's been changes, but there's political rhetoric that always exceeds the changes that take place. They speak a good stump speech about how they're in there to change criminal justice reform, but it doesn't quite parallel up with what it should. So now to answer your question, I believe that the, I don't know the exact percentage of people today in America that are favorable to legalization of pot, but I know it's greater than 57%. It may even be 63 or 65% today. And incrementally, we've been seeing this far more uh, favorably towards a uniform change in the law. Going back in time, of course, we've seen things like Uruguay being the first country that yeah. really did 100% legalization. They we've did. seen Canada do 100% legalization. We've seen things that have happened in Portugal that has been even on the harder drugs where they've done things more favorable. And I'm sure there's other countries out there too that have been making great progress. So here we are now, there's what, 30 plus states of the 50 that have legalization of marijuana, either medically, medicinally, or recreationally, or both. And, and, and what do we have now? Virginia, New yeah. York, uh, another state just recently coming out. One reason, of course, is do you think a state like New York is losing a little bit of revenue? because of all the people that are leaving the state. So they're looking at boosting back by a billion plus their taxation on marijuana. Now, I don't know what's gonna happen with the current administration, but I would like to think that we've reached a point where federally you can approve it. And there's, there's lobbies out there, there's positioning, there's individuals. One political party is, is weaker on approval of marijuana than the other political party. But I tend to think that we're beyond the point of no return. I think that, and I'm in favor of it. Okay. I agree. And I think that's a, go, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say in this state of Wisconsin, I mean, my God, the liquor pro, the, the liquor lobby, the, the amount of, here's a little side story. Not everybody has probably ever had brandy, but Wisconsin is known as a state that they drink more brandy in this state than all other 49 states combined. I have had I mean, brandy, Jim. It's sometimes when it's when it's quality, it's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> so so have they even decriminalized marijuana in, in, in Wisconsin or is it still like is it still like full on synonymous with cocaine, heroin and methamphetamine? It was still in that category of the, 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 the deemed of the drug, but there has been some decriminalization of possession. Okay. I don't know what the quantities are, whether it's an ounce, two ounce, three ounce, but there has been some of that that has taken place in, in Wisconsin. And probably principally Madison as a, as a perfect example. I hear um, that's where the university, that's where the major, that's where the big 10 university, University of Wisconsin is. Right. And that's I grew right. up in East, I grew up in East Lansing where, where Michigan state was or is rather. And I, I just took my family and I took my kids up there to, to show them where I grew up and elementary schools and middle schools and high schools. And I took my mother with me and uh, my wife, she, she had to stay here where she was getting our house ready for, for sale. We got a lot going on, but it was a fun trip, but it was, it was funny seeing billboards. As soon as I get into Michigan, billboards for cannabis dispensaries on the side of the road. It was, it was cool. It was very cool. It was kind of like, wow, look at that. I would have never figured. They haven't done anything to fix the roads in Michigan. Mich roads in Michigan are still horrible. <laughs> but I would have, I mean, it was wild going back to my home state after so many years and going, wow, I cannot believe this is happening in Michigan. Who would so ever thought? I yep. know. I know. It, it is cool. Right? It is very cool. So you are, you, you, you are a Christian. I am. 
you do not use cannabis, but you have nothing against it. You you do think that it should be legalized. It should be it should be decriminalized and and accepted as readily as alcohol or tobacco, some to yes. that extent. Okay. Yeah. Um. Do you do you know anybody who does use any cannabis or hemp product? And that means like CBD. Like CBD is the one that that is legal in all fifty states. You can go on Amazon and buy it. You know, I mean, you you can go on Amazon and buy CBD buds. <laughs> You can oh, go on buy CBD joints. So do you, I, I mean, do. I know some people, do you, do you know anybody? I do. I know, I know, I know lots of people that, that have certainly participated, if you will, some of which goes back to the seventies. I know an individual who's now 75 years old. He makes no secret of the fact that he's probably, um, um, excessively, uh, caused himself some harm, if you will, but he goes back to the mid sixties smoking very, very frequently. Now, he also combined cigarettes at the time. And that, of course, didn't do him any good either. Yeah. But yeah, so I, I do. I do. I have people that I know, friends that certainly um, are, are, uh, are involved in it. Um, I would say most all of them would, would desire it to be, to be legal. And in and, and here again, the conundrum, you can fly into Colorado or, or Vegas and that's all okay, right? But other states, my God, it's it's um, it's illegal. I knew a person in Duluth. He was from California. It's legal in California for a long time. Yeah. What happened? He was transporting across state line. Okay. And he got a long sentence for that: seven, eight, nine years, something Ooh. like that. Yeah. Where was yeah. he? Where was he going? <laughs> I east, but I don't know exactly where, but he was transporting to the east. I remember that story. So it's it the inconsistencies are consistent. I that, agree. They I are agree. just <laughs> unbelievable. And so me, change it, right? Change it. Make it legal. Get the tax revenue. Seems to be, and also, um, there are, there are those entities that might be known as a cartel, uh, whatever that means. Uh, and there may be some of this coming in from other countries. Absolutely. I know, right. uh, I know in the 90s when I got out of high school and before I went to the military, it was we just called it that Mexican brickweed. <laughs> oh, is that what they called it? Well, yeah, because it was all compact and everything and pressed together. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, so... Let's help stomp out some of those things and have the control on the part of the government, much like they do with alcohol. So um, there was something you said, and, and as you were talking, one of my little guys came in the room and hung up his backpack, and I got distracted and forgot what it was. But it was, um, what are the folks that you know that use it? Is it, what are the main, like when, when they say, I use it for this, I use it for that, what do you, what do you see? What do they tell you? You know what I mean? It's like, because here's the thing. There's so, there's so much research to be done in this plant that when people, when people use it, when people smoke it, not everybody, but when, when some people who get their, their response, the, the desired effect that they want, it's like, yeah, I just, I just feel better. They don't necessarily know all the science about why they feel better or the endocannabinoid system or anything like that. But when it, when you when you talk to your friends or family members or whoever else that then you say hey yeah this is they explain to you why they use it is it is it quality of life is it just to take the edge off or is it anti-inflammation what what are they telling you i think i think a combination miguel i know one particular individual that if he'd have followed the advice of the uh, psychologists they would have uh, doomed him to a life of of lithium as well as other drugs Maybe we wanted to put him in a mental hospital for all mm. I know. And he, he began and, and medicates, uh, doesn't take anything else, uh -huh. uh, and, and, and does pot periodically. So I'll call it for medicinal purposes. I've seen that. Um, certainly there's sports injuries that have taken place by people that same, dealing with pain. Um, uh, what's the one company I'm thinking of? Charlotte's Web, yep. uh, where the girl named Charlotte had epileptic seizures or whatever they all were with a, a massive degree of frequencies. 
I think her mother said, we got to at least try something. And they went to Colorado and, and marvelously, it was a massive benefit for her, for her life. Um, so there's, there's, I think there's significant medical benefits now, right? In America, we do have things called the FDA. We do have things called pharmaceutical companies and we do have things called profit. And, and some of those pharmaceutical companies, I'm not sure on this, Miguel, I'm making a wild guess here. What's but right? so it's what you know about it. Right. No, no. I'm being facetious. Oh, okay. okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> because the more right, profit yeah. they make, the more their stock price goes up. And the more stock price they make, the better their stock options are for exercisability. So bottom line is there are interests adverse to legalization, but it's usually monetarily motivated to try to suppress that. So I think for the quality of people, it should be a requirement. It should be allowed. Let them make the choice. Not the, not the, not the feds and not the, not the pharmaceutical companies. And that's, that's, that's what I, that's where, I mean, that's what the nation's going through right now. It's like New York just went and Virginia went and Virginia. So the governor, during during 2021 while everybody's locked down he decided to legalize marijuana and on july 1st 2024 well two or three weeks ago headlines came out he's legalizing it july 1st 2021 so three year three year speed up and then all of a sudden you see a headline about north carolina coming and these southern states are uh that are known to typically have very harsh drug law enforcement penalties that those states are starting to, you know, Virginia, North Carolina. It's kind of interesting to me. Who and, would have uh, thought, right? Yeah. Who would have thought that they would be? I and, agree. And this is where it's kind of like, hmm, it, it's amazing. It's amazing to see it happen. It's, it's going to be interesting to see how it all unfolds and how, and how things get worked out. I had a, I had another guest on earlier. He, he was, uh, he was in charge of the national maritime center for the coast guard. Basically they, they handle credentialed mariners. So he's looking at it from the perspective of, he's like, I'm not against it. I've never, he's just like you, he doesn't use it. And, uh, but he's like, but it's all got to get sorted out in these areas, right? Like logistics and transportation is, is a major one. So when you think about, um, cannabis, is there something where he's kind of like, yeah, you know, I'm for it, but maybe over here in this area, I'd like to see some some protections of some sort or, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, I, I here again, there's there's a significant amount of companies, as we know, that are out there that are publicly traded, some of which are under the umbrella of Canadian and some of which are in the States. And I, I just believe that it's it's reached a point of of beyond there's no going back there's no going back you've got some massive capitalization you've got major beverage companies major yeah. beverage companies that have purchased positions 20 percent 30 percent of some of these major cannabis companies and then they're doing some beverage infusion of creating whatever the the mix is into that particular type of beverage so um, profit's a big motivator in the in the in the, in the way people perceive things and so um, I do believe that we're going to just continue to see an acceleration of approvals on these, on these states. But if you take my state, I think it's going to take federally um, for that to then, then, the, then the state legislatures, they can say, oh, well, let's see, what can we do? We'll, we'll certainly approve of it now because it's approved federally. They don't have any choice. So I see that coming. I just think I think the, the wave is getting bigger and it continues to get bigger. And, and hey, God bless. Again, nobody says that you have to participate. It's a personal choice. Amen. Amen. So, hey, man, there was something you said. And, and uh, I was uh, when I was working for the Coast Guard, we'd go to these uh, semi-annual meetings and uh, they were co-chaired by the EPA and a Coast Guard representative. And uh, it was all about environmental response to, to uh, environmental pollution, response to environmental pollution. And the nation is, is uh, carved up into uh, regions for where the EPA and the Coast Guard um, co-chair these things. So if there's an oil spill, the, the Coast Guard 
has responsibilities and they actually have a major a majority stake in, in those responsibilities. But uh, during one of these meetings, uh, this is back when the Bakken oil was coming through on trains, right? And one of them, right. one of them lit up in Philadelphia and, and they're just like, what in the world? You know, we want this oil, but this stuff is volatile. It right. is like extremely dangerous. And this guy from the Department of the Interior is giving this brief and uh, he's talking to us about that. And he's like, you know what? The market doesn't wait for regulation. The market goes. So what you just said made me go, you know, because that's what, uh, you know, as these states roll out, they're all rolling out in pieces. And then the federal government's going to try to make sense of it all. It almost is like that Bakken oil on the road, but not as, but, but bigger, but bigger. It's like, it's going to go through. And I almost think that, that the regulations are going to, you know, we're going to be sorting them out. Like not we, but we people, we as a nation, we as a nation, really, we're going to be sorting them out as we go through it. And that part is actually kind of cool when I think about it, instead of, instead of the federal government saying, all right, here it is, bang, there's going to be, there's a lot of time. And there, there are law firms dedicated to this. There are advocacy groups dedicated, like they've dedicated their lives to, to, getting this plant legal and yep. uh it's interesting seeing seeing what people are saying as as uh state after state rolls out and then they see headlines about oh this cannabis coalition with convenience stores and alcohol makers and tobacco makers and and it is interesting it is interesting to see the rollout of this thing and it is quite amazing to be alive right now man i mean jim it is it is quite wild you know, I you blew my mind when you're like, oh, it was pretty good. I was, it was a great three, it was a great 30 months. <laughs> I would have never figured that, man. And you right. didn't use any cannabis while you're in there. <laughs> but you were praying. And that is, and that is, you know, that is it. It's like when we were talking about it uh before we hit record, it was like, man, you just get there's points in your life where you're so low, you just you just groan. You almost just groan. You know what I mean? You oh, don't God. even have words because you know your words are failing. Yep. And the scripture, the Christian scripture says, God hears your groan and he cares. And that's yep. pretty cool, man. And so I'm not sure what you're, you, you know, your experience in that prison better than I do, but I imagine that to have that kind of peace while you're going through that kind of a thing is not natural. I'd say it's supernatural, man. Yeah. Yeah. You, 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 it's amazing. You find the camaraderie that you develop because of everyone's in the same, they're in the same situation. You, you know, you, you aren't going anywhere. Right? You aren't going anywhere. You can't, you, you know, you can't, you can't call a cab. Well, you could. You <laughs> can't get in it. <laughs> you get in it. Right. And so it's like, you're not going anywhere, but you, at the same time, you've resigned yourself to not give up either right because you oh, saw no. some people that that they look like they may have given up they're, they're not getting out of bed for days well, and that can be temporary or it can be permanent but it's 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 a it's a resolve and a trust in something you know what i mean it's like what you, you got to turn to something to trust it to say this is worthwhile this is not this this was not this thing is not here to stay precisely miguel it's not one guy, the first couple of months, it's a little unique because you have to adjust, right? You're in like a little single bed. They're all bunk beds, generally four people to a room, sometimes six people to a room. Uh, but one guy took me aside who was there on a mortgage situation. Uh, and he said, Jim, let me just explain it to you. So you calm down. He said, this is all about now working on yourself just treat it like it's just a little spot in time. Whether people get a year, three years, five years, 10 years, it starts getting along. Yeah. But you're just there for that spot in time, like one to five, you're there for that period of time, work on yourself. You, you aren't going to have this time when you're back in real life, you got to deal with all the other things that go on here. And this is, this is sort of funny. I don't know if you've ever heard of a guy named Conrad Black, but he's known as Sir Conrad Black. He's from England, but he was an owner and publisher of the Chicago Sun-Times. 
as well as other newspapers that he was involved in. Okay. And, and for whatever reason, I would read about him back when he had his case, when he got indicted, when he got incarcerated. And, uh, and I had, I did the same thing with Martha Stewart, who most people have heard of. I knew all about her case, never knowing I'm going to end up in a situation like this. But Conrad Black, they interviewed him once after, and, and they said, so now, Conrad, it was a pretty bad experience, I'm sure, of what you went through. And he went, no, quite the contrary. Nobody could call me. There's no thing. We didn't have, there was no cell phones. Yeah. I could read all the time. I could help inmates. I could teach people GED equivalents. I, I only could reach out and send an email if I wanted, or I had to initiate a phone call. No, it was actually really peaceful. <laughs> and I think the person interviewing him was shocked, right? You surprised me, man. <laughs> you surprised yeah. me with that answer. <laughs> I was true. happy to hear it. I was very happy to hear it, but you definitely surprised me. I saw some fights. Fights happen. Yeah. I saw a fight on a basketball court. I saw a fight in front of a building and a fight in the, in the, in the food service area. Things happen, right? Yeah. People get whatever they get in their own little world. But generally, overall, in these low, we call them camp facilities, it's pretty safe, all things considered. Let me ask you. So I heard you say that there was another guy with a more, more, uh, a financial crime in there with you. Did you find that there were certain like offenses that were grouped together in the camp? Or was it kind of like just the camp and, and people who have committed all kinds of crimes will, will sometimes go to them? If I'm, you know what I mean? Were they yeah, like this camp is for because it almost sounds like the camp you're at was for uh drug arrests and financial crimes, which if you put those folks together, it seems like sure. school. It seems like school. <laughs> yeah. There was there was mostly not most everybody was nonviolent. Okay. Okay. Most everybody was nonviolent. Now, one of my friends who was from Chicago, who was a lawyer, he had been in a medium camp in Ohio. And the camp, apparently the camp he was in had a substantial amount of sex offenders. Oh, boy. So there is some of that that does take place where they might segment to some degree. But otherwise, it's supposed to be geographic. They're supposed to not be more than 500 miles away from your home. Okay. Now, go figure. How come there were four cops next door to me that were from Puerto Rico? Four cops from Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico's a long way from Duluth. So wait, you mean like in the prison cell? Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. And again, there, the, the, uh, a misnomer. There's no doors on, on the doors in the dorms. It's all, everything's wide open. Really? You know, yeah, there's nobody in us. The only time you would go in a cell would be if you were, you had to wait for some special situation when you were um, uh, just checking in. And they can't be with you right away, so they'll. But they leave the door open, so they put you in a cell. But they leave the door open. There are no bars. There are none of these perceived television program perceptions, if you will, of how it all probably is. At least not it's in just, the camp. At least not in the camp. <laughs> not in the camp. Now you get up to the highs again, solitary or in the yeah. highs. Different story. That's a whole different story. Then, it, then you're more like the Shawshank Redemption. Right where you see some of those things, but yeah, in the camps, and there's about 61 or 62 camps, I think I could be off on that, Miguel. But there's there's a, there's an abundance. There's a little less now than 200,000 people incarcerated federally. Okay. But get this statistic: there's between 60 and 80 million people in America who have been charged with a criminal offense. Think about that: 60 to 80 million. It's a lot. That's a high number. I number and there's always 7 million people on parole. So you got people, there's 2.3 million people in the, in the prison system, 200,000 federally, the rest are state and jails. But in a circulation of things, there's always around 7 million that are on probation one way or another. Hmm. Yeah. So, so over the, you're saying when you said there's always 7 million people on parole, that's like a study that's been done over a course of years. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it could be 6 million, it could be 8 million. And so I'm using an average. Yeah, if you will. But, but it's then, like a, a certain range is going to be. Yeah. I mean, this is a $70 billion industry. It it's is. Just, uh, yeah, I, Michigan, Michigan went on a private 
prison building almost campaign when I was living there. And I was like, this just something doesn't seem right about this. Nope, not Private prisons, privately owned I, prisons. Yep, I, 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 I agree. Well, Jim, it's been fantastic having you on your podcast, Law, Litigation, and Lies, is live now. We can find it on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Breaker, and Radio Public. Your book, The Setup from Finance to Federal Prison My Journey Through Wrongful Conviction, looking to be published this summer. Maybe we'll have to have you back on and see what that experience was like to see how it's kind of what it's like to go through that kind of a project and come see yeah. it come to fruition. I'm, I, Miguel, I'd love it. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed speaking with you. You're a great guy, great host, nice questions, just a whole well way of how you present yourself. And I hope all your viewers, as you keep growing, I hope they really, really love listening to you. Thank you, Jim. Thank you very much. It's been, it's been a good time. This is the second time you and I have done something together, and I look forward to doing more, my friend. Absolutely. Absolutely, Miguel. Thank you, Thank Jim. You. My name is Miguel, and this is uh, we're signing off for the Conversation Cannabis and Christianity podcast. Love you all. Peace.